Peace, peace, family. This is your Black to Roots podcast, and I'm your host, Tangie. And just like every week when I come to you guys, I got something for y'all. Um, You know, we're dealing with election time, and, you know, emotions are high. Everybody's losing their damn minds, and, you know, it's the same bit every four years, okay? Um, this is nothing new, you know, when the last bastard got put in office, you know, um, uh, we, we was, we was mad about Clinton leaving office and then having to give it to Bush, you know, uh, Bush Jr. Then we get, you know, we get Barack Obama and they put him in office twice and everybody's pissed off and Trump trumped out. But, um, it's kind of too late for, for me to tell everybody to take a deep breath, um, talking to my black folk you guys man y'all y'all rush y'all become divided y'all you know you pick up your pitchforks and you go run into the caves and at the end of the day neither democrat nor republican is your democracy neither one okay voting has never done anything for you the only thing that it's done, you fought for the, your our ancestors fought for the right to vote. And when they did, okay, they added to the numbers for an initial agenda that did not concern you. You only three fifths of your votes or, you know, helped the, an initial agenda. You just so happen to benefit from it at the time. Okay. But for example, let's just say that we all gathered together and we did it again. The same, the same way we tried to take over, you know, and do our own thing and, and have our own, you know, prosperous areas to live in safely without lynching. Look at what they did to Wilmington. Look at what they did to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Like they don't want you to have a piece of any fucking thing. Okay. And then we have some conservative blacks or, you know, we have some blacks that are in, you know, the upper echelon who live in prominent neighbor, um, neighborhoods and communities like Texas, for example. You know, there, there's a, a quite a few places that prominent blacks are. And, uh, you know, there's some good schools out there, but that's a very small minority of us. You know, and I, I, I want to beg the question, you know, who do they vote for? You know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, we're looking at people in higher tax brackets who who are making these these major decisions for the overall view of the public. And at the end of the day, the presidential election is selected by 500 and some change, uh, 500 some odd people, which is your electoral college. You have no say so in that. Your vote matters if they have a split decision or if someone in their sec change of changes a fucking vote. But you don't select the president. It's unconstitutional for the public to select the president. I don't know why people are like they go in droves believing that they're selecting and you're you're really not. You're really not. There's a such thing as a popular vote, the electoral vote, and all that other bullshit, but you don't make the choice. You simply let the state know. What kind of democracy you want in that state? Okay. That's it. So, I mean, I I really... It's frustrating, y'all. <laughs> it is. You know what I'm saying? Trying to, um, you know, get get everybody to, to understand, you know, bit by bit, what it is that we're actually dealing with. And there's so many levels. There's so many 
layers to this onion to pull back that it's kind of it, it's frustrating yes that's the cl- cleanest word I can think of to describe you know what that actually is and to 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 force to force ourselves to try and um make sense of it all you know what I mean it's like eh, why bother sometimes you know but ultimately we got some you know some old heads and we got some some old schoolers that would beg to differ you know that would simply say no vote you know you get one vote you got the right to vote use it and blah 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 yeah I get it you know and um I can also say at the end of the day I'm dealing with my local my local and state governments those are the 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 places where I feel my vote will really matter for my plight you know what I'm saying like I'm not I'm not one of those people who are uh, hell-bent on putting myself somewhere where it's a waste of my energy you know and I don't encourage anybody else to to not go vote I just I just won't be doing it myself uh for the presidential election and the reason being is because I there's nobody for me to choose from you know and where y'all say the lesser two evils y'all say that nonsense so y'all say get whoever out I'm sorry but the last few presidents did nothing for me nothing okay so I can't I I just don't look at it the way that everybody else does. It does me no justice to pick this one or that one. You know, both of them. Hell no. You know, we we got we got we need some better picks. Cuz this that that that's just wrong. It's just wrong, y'all. But teach is on. So, story time so here's the kicker i've been a poet since i was 12 years old all right since i was 12 years old and in being a poet at the age of 12 um and coming up you know in the streets of new jersey you know what i'm saying uh plainfield newark elizabeth areas like that um some some spots in philly you know um allentown and then parts of manhattan Harlem coming up in in those places I've developed you know a lot um lyrically and I've developed an affinity for hip-hop and poetry is my foundation for that so like my mom you know used to sing and stuff right and all my uncles everybody was musically inclined somehow right and poetry became like a staple in my personal life you know I I don't recall anybody else in my family aside from my uncles who were um poets you know and just like three of my uncles were were ill poets and my I I remember my uncle Peter being one to to tell me that the illest poet uh the illest poet to ever do it was Rakim right and, um, and he would he would start spitting the verses right and he, i remember he uh him and my cousin howie they had they had this like old school like kids poem that they used to say all the time and uh, forgive me y'all but i don't remember all of the words i just remember 
Ike and Mikey was playing in the ditch. Ike called Mikey a dirty son of a. Ask me no questions. I tell you no lies. It went like that. And then uh, something, something, something. I put you in the uh-uh. Right? So I remember he used to always say that to me. And every time he said it, I was like, I don't know. I was cheesy and giddy. And I was just so happy to hear the cadences that came with rhyming. So from age 12 to about age 13, um, I developed vocabulary. That was one of my major, major goals in life was to be a lyricist. And all I wanted to do was have the best vocabulary out of anybody that ever spoke to me. So I became a walking dictionary, y'all. I bullshit you not. Anybody that's related to me could tell you that. <laughs> I mean, I had encyclopedias. I got encyclopedias from the libraries. Wouldn't take them back. You know what I'm saying? I kept them. Um, like I would just get like bunches and bunches of books and I, I was just one of the, I was a bookworm. So I started building my vocabulary. I mean, building it so strong that it got to the point where a lot of kids my age, we couldn't even communicate anymore. My, my lexicon had got so strong. I started to, you know, degenerate when it came to communication. I just stopped talking to people and, you know, I just did, did stuff right? We can ride the trails, but we don't got to kick it. You know what I mean? We can go swimming, but we don't really got to kick it. So I was, I was kind of off, you know, as a kid, you know, I had my loud moments and I had, you know, my fun with it, with everybody as normal kid would. But when it came to, um, like really sitting and communicating, having a conversation, those things rarely happened. And when they did, it ended up in fights, you know, stuff like that. So, I could say this. Um, all right. So after that, around 14, 15, I got discovered. Now, I got discovered by quite a few different people. And a group of dudes, um, Gage, you know, 12 Gage, Roz, um, Flip, God rest his soul, a dude named House. Um, there was quite a few people. And there was other people, some famous cats too. But I'm not going to put their name out there. I ain't no clout chaser. But, um, I started spitting with, with them. Then I started spitting with cats named Naughty Heads, you know, and I became one of those females, like the only female in a group, the youngest person in a group to, um, be a part of, you know, emceeing, you know, rapping or whatever. And because my poetry was so unorthodox, it, it already had the cadence attached to it. So... I did stuff like, um, now mind you, I've, I've done so many different things. Okay. I've rhymed with people. I've rhymed with people that modeled that I modeled with, if that makes sense. Like my circle was kind of small, but it was, it was so expanded across sectors, you know, from modeling to rapping, to boxing, to just doing a bunch of different stuff and still remaining a, a regular kid in the hood. Right. So I, um, I, I started dealing with, you know, some, some other cats and yeah, I just growing up with different people and rhyming with different people. Right. So, um, the cadences became, they went from abstract to, uh, just a little bit more hardcore and then from hardcore to more intellectual rapping. Right. So, I'll spit a verse and let y'all see what I'm talking about. And then I'm going to give you a poem. And I mean, because poem is my first, poetry is my first love. 
So I reverted back to that and I would like to share it with you guys. Um, like I said, poetry is my first love. So I'm going to give you um, a verse, right? Uh, something I might have spit it way back in the day. And then I'll give you another verse of when the transition happened when I was about 17, 18 years old. Okay, so, um, and this is all emceeing. So, all right, um, uh, a younger poem, I mean, a younger rap. So I'll say, um, all right, here's one. Don't sprawl with the head, you'll get broke, smother bullet smoke. I'ma get your kinfolk. I'm walking through the darkness. Who's my god? It's Bombaras. Earth smoking through the nostrils of my clothes and hell's the nose. Blind, deaf, dumb, weakness known as foes. Close. Your logic turn it black, fire, endure dark lights to give you storm. Recite my scrolls, you're a plastic torn. Murder seat, don't as your left bastard. You ask it of the mentalist, I giveth you no light. A verbal gladiator. Lift hide the minds like flight of the navigator. You are forbidden solar, sworn death by the swords and Hell praise Jah. Bow down upon your knees, praise verbal lords. Kill our one dead. I come in three forms. Guard my pen, words my disciples. Metaphors, Moses, open when my eye closes. And that right there, I wrote that when I was 15, right? But back then, you can hear that I was listening to people like Diggable Planets. <laughs> I was listening to people like, you know, leaders of the new school. I was listening to, um, you know, far side. I was listening to those people and I was highly influenced. My favorite rapper is still to this day of all time is Farrell Monch. But when I was first introduced to Farrell Monch, it was through organized confusion. So you heard me leaning into that. But at 15, I really didn't have much experience with life to be able to convey some of the thoughts that I would like to. Right. So you got some people that understood history. They understood, you know, police brutality. They understood certain things that I wasn't exposed to yet. So I didn't have much to talk about. <laughs> right. But the cadences were there, right? The, the flow was there. The, um, the ideology was there and the, the, uh, the lyricism was there. All I had to do was gain experience. So from that point, from that point, it transitioned. I got a little bit more experience. So, you know, the, the transition went from having those cadences to gaining a little bit more experience. And then, then, you know, the nineties raps came in and I, I was in love with Biggie. I was in love with like Busta Rhymes. I went, I transitioned from leaders of the new school to just bust a bus, you know, and I, I transitioned, I mean, transitioned from, um, the Fugees to just Lauren Hill. So I was, you know, like caught up in that flow of hip-hop i was a nas fan that was one of my favorites coming up farrell is still to this day hands down my favorite mc but if i were to line him up with anybody most deaf would be there talib kwali would be there um uh, uh big l would be there okay Busta Bus would be there, Red Man, Method Man, the whole Wu Tang, you know, Killer Priest, Master Killer. Like I was just, I was into everything, okay. And then if if we went back a little bit, I was like super on my super pro black. Like I had all of the X Clan, you know what I'm saying? Um, I had all of the X Clan albums. I had all the Queen Latifah albums from back in the day. Latifah is the one you love. Challenge me to suck it though. Snatching suckers with the glove. Challenge me and you will burn. Like, y'all don't remember that. <laughs> okay. So I was in love with Queen Latifah. I wasn't really into 
like Moni, Moni Love and them. I wasn't really into that. You know what I'm saying? I was into the pro-black um, MCs. I was into the more intellectual MCs. Um, Pat Poose was another one I was in love with. I was always into that type of stuff. You know, Bahamadia. You know, that that's somebody that I was, you know, fascinated by. I loved Bahamadia, right? So it was like the intellectual side of that is what I was attracted to. And I believe part of that was because my lexicon had grew so large that regular rapping, you know, just regular MCing didn't do it for me. You know, it just... I, it, it just didn't do it for me. I wanted to hear more. I wanted to, to see more. I wanted to visualize more with MCN. So my transition went from, you know, the naughty head style to, I'll give you another one. And, um, shit, if I can find one, let me think. Um, another, another rhyme I would say would be, what, what was that? Damn, y'all. All right, here's the verse, y'all. Yo, they done woke up the wrong lyricist to play the Ouija board with. Dissect the physical, reincarnate ancient spirits who wrote on hieroglyphics. Surrender all swords, prepare for the war. Ill metaphors and rouses fucking and prepare for a whore. Niggas want more, call me cruddy, cause I'll fuck in a chapel and leave the condom hanging on the steeple at the top of a tabernacle. Born a bastard, sorceress, God's gift to skip speech and keep it locked inside of me too like voices of Ebenezer Scrooge. So as you can see, the transition went from... Um, the Nazi head, you know, Nazi headed dread, da, 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 to more of, um, a vulgarity in, in my cadences, right? Um, who could say the illest shit or what would be the nastiest thing that I could say as opposed to, um, you know, just saying something a little clever, but I still hadn't had much experience, um, with life, right? I was only 17 when I wrote that. See, so my experience with life and my experience with understanding knowledge, I, I didn't have much knowledge itself. I was close, but I didn't have a lot, right? I, I wasn't in full understanding or overstanding of knowledge itself to even put anything like that in, in my rhymes. So yes, my younger rhymes, I was much harder. My cadences were easier. But then I went through a, another transition. You know, I'm talking about... Uh, leaving a condom hanging on the steeple at the top of a tabernacle and I was a virgin. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So there's no way possible that I was going to ever do that. The thing was, I started to put two and two together with what my reality was and how passionate I could be or how clever I could be with what it is that I actually did in life, right? What I really lived in life. And, um, it, it, it turned into a more, more streetish, <laughs> I want to say. And, um, it, get, it got away from the naughty heads abstract thinking and more into a street type of MCing. And here's a verse when it, when that transition took place. Yo, you could get clapped at first sight when my niggas roll thick. We out of the slums and got more guns than the last dawn. Um, Miss Pringles, bitch, I busted the cops. I'm sorceress and once I pop, I ain't gonna stop. My niggas ride for the gutter in me. Empty the clip off with his keys and off with his knees. Then back to the streets, what? I leave a masked out, blood in his mouth. Popping the shells out, doing the 360 degree spin out. 
blackout, put your life on freeze. My trigger finger gonna cock and squeeze. Breathe easy. This ball game, nigga, hold that weight. With your half grandmas and can't push the cake. What? But roll the dice out and don't ace out. My briefcase out. I pull a ox out, dump two in them. Through his blue dinner, plus all layers of skin. Phase two. Walk around with a chip on my shoulders and a bulletproof vest. Bring the best out of beef. Construct snug on my feet when I'm dumping the heat. Compete thorough in my burrow. I'm in the midst of the gritty city. You could come for me. I'm a 10 on the score sheet. The block four street. The projects run through it. With a nigga smoke haze and they speak slang fluent. You want test, do it. Got heat, nigga, use it. I abuse bullets. 16 seconds of raw footage. Now, that transition was more street. Okay. It left the abstract vibe and, and, and then into that vulgar, um, you know, abstract vibe down to just that street vibe. Right. And that vibe is because I was dealing with more of my actual experience, you know, gang banging all young and dumb hustling, you know, hanging with nothing but dudes getting into shit. That was the life I actually lived. So it was more passion involved in that. And it was more relatable as opposed to being an abstract rapper. But I could truthfully say when I battled, I, I was unbeatable when I was battling in the abstract realm. Um, that changed once I became more mainstream. Well, not mainstream, but once I became more relatable was when I wasn't able to win as, as like I normally would because abstract was always just different. Just the eyeball out. Like you just, you real different, <laughs> right? So that, that soon changed. But like I said, my first love was always poetry. So it really didn't matter what, how I did that poetry, I know that my cadences, no matter which way I threw them, was going to hit on something. And I was in love with that. So, so here we are with the poetry. So I'm going to find one because um, I have so many like, y'all know I'm 42, right? I throw that shit out there like every video. I mean, every recording. I'm 42. So picture 30 30 years <laughs> of constant poetry. 30 years of constant poetry, y'all. Because that's just, you know, what I do. And um, I'm going to give you guys a couple. I'm, I'm going to give you one and then another. Um, and I'm going to pass you these poems because... I mean, I, I feel like it's the time actually for people to just enjoy what is a part of our heritage. Cause you got to remember poetry or just the idea of, uh, poetry and, and the essence of poetry, uh, begins with, with things like the talking drum. And then it transitions into the underground railroad. Then it transitions into, um, you know, it, it being entertaining, right? It transitioned from that to our, our way of communicating, you know, as black people. And it's a part of our lineage. This is how we communicate secretly um, by saying things that, you know, the masses or the slave drivers or your Jim Crow folks. And, you know, it was a way for us to communicate. So nobody else knew what we were talking about, you know, and like follow the drinking gourd. That was about following the 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 big dipper 
right? But to everybody else, it was just a Negro spiritual. You see what I'm saying? But it was cold. And this particular poem is called The Code. And I want you guys to check it out. So The Code by Tangie Robinson. When I snap my fingers, it's very easy to catch the rhythm, ain't it? But if I add bass to that same snap, your feet begin to tap. Then I say a few words, kind of like a voiceover. I say it's talking, but you call it jazz. When I say it on beats, it hits different in the streets. I call it talking, and you call it rap. Boom, bap, boom, bap, boom, boom, bap. But what's that language? Can you hear? What's that language? Is that the talking drum? Ah, the code. The code. They tried to suppress our expression. Boom, bap, boom, bap. They fell, so they sent the white boy in. Boom, bap, boom, bap, the code. What's that language? Can you hear? They thought they had it when they discovered the writings in the cartouche, but was disappointed to find the language was twofold. You needed melanin to read it. Can you hear? What's that language? The code. No matter what comes, what may, let them all play and have their say. Let them. They can try it, buy it, or even disguise it. Boom, bap, boom, bap. But they have not eyes to see nor ears to hear. Can you hear? Boom, bap, boom, bap, the code. And that's it. Um, so this particular poem, it is pretty much, it should be self-explanatory. I'm not really sure how people interpret poetry nowadays, but, um, I come from an era where, you know, uh, <laughs> My favorite poet is Oscar Brown Jr., right? And um, Gil Scott Heron, okay? I love poetry in real life. <laughs> so, you know, I have my favorites. Yes, Maya Angelou was the bomb. It's a lot of other people. Felicia Rashad, you know, it's a lot of poets out there, especially our musicians. Y'all just don't know. It's a lot of poets out there. But when we talk about, like, traditional poetry for me, um, another one, my favorite, uh, another favorite of, you know, from the pat from my pastime, from pastimes is, uh, Langston Hughes. He was another, uh, favorite of mine. Very simplistic, very simplistic, but profound nonetheless. And, um, you know, he, he, he really, you know, have you, you, you wondering like, wow, somebody so young, like really felt so much and said it with little words. Like he didn't need unnecessary 
you know, vocabulary or vernacular to express himself. It was very simple, very simplistic, very um, understandable, yet so profound. And I was just in love with Langston Hughes. Like, I really, really was. So I have um, another poem here called uh, Hatred. And the subtitle for Hatred, hold on now, me... Let me go find her. My laptop always freezing on me like it don't like the attention. So I sometimes got to go through unnecessary stuff. All right. So this one is called Hatred. All right. And the subtitle is The Stone in the River. All right. So I'm going to let you guys hear this one. Um, all right. Hatred. Do you ever get tired of sitting here or does the fish fly by as if you're not there? Do you ever get scared of frolicking bears or kids with sticks and fishermen's chairs? Do you ever get tossed and skip across the waters? Or is it that that's the norm for you? Can you reconcile your jagged edges and trace the origin of your habits? Or did you just fall from a mountaintop and get broken here? Time has a way of handling a chip off the old block. Are you even considered a rock? People throw you relentlessly, sometimes painful, hurting on impact. Sometimes you're cold underneath all that water in those riverbeds. I don't regret you or despise you. I just don't care to compromise you. I'm just upset that you would do the exact opposite for me. I will walk away from this riverbed. <laughs> To the lake that has no stones or snakes. And when I reach that familiar place, I will skip those rocks and those kids with sticks. For hate has no place at a lake. And that's the end of that. That's um hatred. Uh, the stone in the river. So, the last two poems that you got were pretty, pretty simple. But I got another one for y'all. And I'm, I'm probably going to perform this live, but... No, 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 I'll wait, I'll wait. I ain't even gonna give it to y'all because the poems get deep, y'all. Um, I'm gonna leave that at that. I was gonna give y'all another one, but I ain't gonna do that. <laughs> um, I have so many in my archives, I just wanna hit y'all with the arsenal. But I decided to um, go with my flow, if that makes sense. Like, I know that I have my story times. I know that I wanted to give um, something of myself to the public. I know that I have that purpose. That's my calling in life. I simply just don't know how or what way to express that. So um, with trying so many different things, it's just always better to be yourself. And wherever that may lead me, so be it. I don't care if only six people hear me every day, right? As long as I'm doing what I'm called to do or what, what feels good to me, that's what I'm going to do. And I hopefully, hopefully you guys enjoy it. Okay, um, I'll be back. Uh, again, <laughs> you know, soon, probably in another day or so. Um, but there's just so much going on with these transitions. And yes, you guys, I still do not smoke. I don't even have the urge for it. And I told y'all my last entry, you know, that that was it. Um, but I just felt the need to let people know that I really did quantum jump out of my habit. And I think you guys should look it up. If there's something you trying to break, generational curses, whatever the case may be, look up quantum 
jumping. Look it up. It really did work for me. It really did in real life. And, you know, with, with all of the evidence and historical data that I'm finding, you know, about our history and so forth. Look, man, when it comes to quantum stuff, spirituality and all of that and the sciences, I believe wholeheartedly 100 percent that our, our melanin is a damn godsend. It's magical. That shit really is. So, you know, dig into it, y'all. You know, do your own research and, and, and start going on your own journeys. But until next time, y'all, peace and love.